0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Today is Sunday, September 27th. I am your host this week, Sam Klein, calling in from Denver, Colorado. I am joined by my usual buddies, uh, Jason Evans, who's in Atlanta. Oh boy,
1: and you know, good to be in Atlanta and be a Duke fan on a weekend where we beat Georgia Tech.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and joining us from Washington, D.C., Donald Wine.
2: I was in Lexington, Virginia this weekend for a wedding, and let me tell you, it was just as sweet to watch that game there, too.
0: And for somebody who was at the game this weekend, we have a special guest. Uh, She is now our most frequent uh, special guest on the podcast. It's the News and Observer uh, reporter for Duke Athletics. It's Laura Keeley. Laura, how are you? Doing well, and glad to be back. Thank you. Um, We're glad that you are here again, uh, because we certainly can't do this just on our own. Um so i'm gonna you know it's, wait, wait. it's it's
1: worth noting that Laura joined us when we were just a fledgling very young podcast and didn't know what we were doing, and now we are seasoned and experienced and really important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone starts somewhere <laughs> okay. uh, Jason has a much higher opinion of us than I do. Um, but I think that's just in my nature. Uh, I'm gonna start so we'll we'll do this episode the way we've done. Um, previous interviews in the past, we'll ask Laura uh, uh, some questions. We'll talk about both football and basketball today a little bit. um, And then we will say goodbye and we'll do some reactions afterwards. Is that cool with everybody? Yes? Yep, let's go for it. it. Absolutely. Um, So Jason, uh, I know that you had a couple questions to start with on the football side for Laura. So why don't you take those uh, and and go ahead. So
1: Laura, uh, yesterday everyone, and I mean everyone, talked about what a great, amazing day Jeremy Cash had. I mean, you were at the game, so you couldn't hear the ESPN broadcast, but the announcers could not stop gushing about him, comparing him to Cam Chancellor and other really great NFL safeties and the such. Um, I, I wanted to put this question to you related to Jeremy Cash's performance uh, because the defense won the game yesterday, and I don't think there's much discussion about that, but was what we saw yesterday from the Duke defense more a product of great teamwork, or was it just a great individual effort by jeremy Cash?
3: yeah you know, well, I think you know Jeremy obviously played outstanding and was named um you know the, the Walter Camps defensive player of the week uh for the country, rightfully, so you know it wasn't just him and just an individual effort uh you know Dwayne Norman always plays really well against Georgia Tech he's a guy you know he's moved from safety to linebacker um and really. the the genesis that switch came last year against Georgia Tech when, uh, you know, Duke does the modified 4-3 defense to deal with the triple option run-based offense. And, uh, you know, he thrives in that. And so, you know, you had Dwayne Norman making a lot of plays at linebacker. You had Jeremy Cash making even more plays, you know, playing linebacker yesterday. And then really, though, the biggest pleasant surprise uh, for the defense has been the play up front of the defensive line. You know, there's four guys up there, three new starters that um, you know, have really been getting it done and winning, winning the battle at the line of scrimmage, which was not something that, you know, even really Duke coaches knew they were going to be able to count on going into this year. And, you know, i, I say it's four players, but um, really there's a good rotation, probably going about seven deep along the defensive line, and that's making a huge difference to being able to keep rotating fresh guys in there because while they might be, you know, a little undersized, uh, you know, they're pretty fast and athletic, and you saw that against Georgia Tech yesterday.
0: That leads me to a, another question that I had... Um, that I had written down, which is uh, related to the defensive line. And you mentioned that they've played really well. Can you identify who uh, in particular has maybe surprised you or has played the best in the defensive line, uh, like to this point, and who we can expect um, to emerge on that in that unit um, to be guys that, we're, that we think we're counting on against uh, run-heavy teams like Georgia Tech and potentially like Boston College?
3: Yeah, um, really the interior guys. Uh you know, AJ Wolf and Carlos Ray have played really well. You know, it's kind of a an often overlooked area. You know, because obviously the defensive ends are the ones are kind of you know flying around to the quarterback making plays. But but yeah, I do play just playing really well on the interior. And then there are just a lot of young players that are playing really well. You know, like Edgar Serenoid, Brandon Boyce is a true freshman. Uh, you know, you, you didn't know that they, those guys were going to come in. You know, Quaven Ferguson. And play and have that impact right away. So really the young guys have been super encouraging. Uh, you know, Kyler Brown and Deion Williams have done really well in that kind of modified linebacker defensive end role where they, st- you know, they don't have their hand on the ground. They stand up and kind of go, um, you know, and make plays. And, and it's really been kind of an all around effort. You know, there's not one guy you point to like he is just, you know, absolutely killing it up front, but it really is the unit and the combination. And like I said, the depth that's allowing them to, uh, you know, to beat Georgia Tech's offensive line and to to hang in there, uh, you know, for the most part, with uh, you know against Northwestern, which you know as the weeks go by, it looks like an increasingly better and better team.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that um, defensive line was one of those position areas before the season started where we were like, well, we're not sure, we're not sure how good that's going to be. They're probably going to have to rely too much on the defensive backs, and and especially yesterday, it didn't seem like that was that was the case. Uh, it seemed like they were really pulling their weight, so to say. Um, I Absolutely, wanna move to, you
3: know that's. Um, oh, sorry, I was to yeah. say that's that's what the Duke coaches were saying entering the year. Though it's like you know if we can if we can be neutral up front, you know, kind of not probably not gonna be a plus, but as long as it's not like a minus, then everything should work just fine on defense. And you know, and, it, it, it's been like I said, a pleasant surprise.
0: And they didn't succumb to all the uh, to all the cut blocking that that Georgia Tech likes to employ.
3: Did not. Yeah, held up really well against that.
0: Um, I want to move to the side of the ball that's maybe a little bit more troublesome. Um, the offense yesterday played better than they did against Northwestern, uh, particularly on the ground. And Thomas Sirk made a few big throws yesterday, but it seemed like he, he's still a little bit out of sync. You know, he's, he's not necessarily putting balls exactly where his receivers are going. Maybe he's only throwing them to where they are. Um, how close do you think Thomas Sirk is to becoming the player that the coaches talked about him being at the beginning of the season?
3: You know, it's, it's really tough, honestly, um, for me to feel confident saying anything about Cirque just because after the first two games and you after hearing everyone talk in the preseason, you know, really not worrying about the transition from Anthony Boone to him. And then, you you know, obviously Tulane and NC Central are kind of what they are competition-wise, but still, you know, he made the right decisions. He made, you know, good, solid throws. You know, I was like, okay, so this is just, you know, what everybody, what everyone internally was expecting. And then, you know, to come out and play so poorly against Northwestern, in terms of just general decision-making and to, you know, honestly kind of not play super well against Georgia Tech either in terms of decision-making. You wonder, uh, you wonder, he did play better against Georgia Tech. There's no doubt. And Duke did take a few deep shots that worked out. You know, Shaquille Powell ran really well, obviously, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the offense got three first downs after the first quarter you know, and as, as Thomas started to run the ball more, uh, you know, the offense started to kind of stall out more and more. And so you do, I do still wonder about his decision-making. Um, and, you know, maybe playing against, uh, you know, Army coming up will help him. Boston College actually is a pretty awesome defensive team, so he'll need to be,
0: you know, on his, on
3: his game there. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how kind of quickly you can fix errors in decision-making, but uh, it will certainly be interesting to see.
0: And do you think that, like, what do you think Coach Cutcliffe's opinion is or his feelings right now about the fact that his, you know, through four games, two of which were against really good ranked teams, um, the most impressive part of the offense has been the rushing attack, and, and from the quarterback as well as the running backs, um, and not in the air. Uh, we know that he's he's got a history of, of molding quarterbacks, but this team seems like if it's going to win, it's going to be winning on the ground.
3: Absolutely. And that's not totally unexpected either. You know, you're kind of looking at the roster coming into the year, you know, the talent you've had at running back and, you know, with Cerf's ability to run the ball, he kind of figured this would be, you know, on a minimum probably the most balanced offensive team in terms of run pass that he's ever had. And, and yeah, you know, Kukla's, uh not afraid to, to run the ball. Uh, you know, at Tennessee, they certainly had guys like Arian Foster and, you know, and other another good running backs that have kind of gotten overlooked, uh, you know, just in the, in the shadows of the quarterbacks he's coached. But, but, yeah, I think that Duke is perfectly comfortable you know, going to the running game. Um, and the offensive line is good enough. The backs are good enough. And if that's, if that's what it's going to be, then you know, nobody's going to complain about winning games or running the football.
0: Right. Um, and then looking at that rushing attack that's been so good, yesterday uh, Shaq Powell took the bulk of the carries. Cirque had a, a good number of them himself. And then the other two guys, um, Duncan and Wilson, had very few do you think that that is a pattern that we're going to continue to see, or is that them working Jaleigh Duncan back uh, into the rotation? Do you think he's going to take more of the load as, as the weeks go on?
3: It'll be interesting because, you know, Sartre Wilson essentially got benched from that um, that initial kind of botched handoff between him and Cirque where both of them were trying to hold on to the ball and it wasn't clear, you know, who should, who should have backed off. And, you know, obviously Duke fumbled and Georgia Tech recovered. To start the game, you know, I, I think Wilson only had three or four carries, you know, the entire game, uh, one of which was that. So, it, you know, he, it, I don't think that's probably going to happen every week. I think he's probably going to get more of a shot to run the ball. And they ran well. Um, and it's crazy, you think he hasn't played football, like enough you know, football games since, you know, the ACC championship game in December of 2013, um, which is a long time ago. So, you know, I do think they'll work him more into the rotation just because he is really talented. Uh, you know, when he is on the field, he has shown kind of he can be, you know, a power runner kind of like Shaquille Powell can be. So I would expect to become more of a, a three-man running back rotation with, uh, you know, Wilson Powell and uh, Jaleigh Duncan.
0: Yeah. Um, and then looking at the sort of third side of the ball, if you will, uh, Duke was very impressive on special teams this week. The the week before, obviously, there were some issues. Uh, Northwestern had the, had the kick return. Will Monday had had – had a lot more touchbacks, I think, than he wanted to have. Um, how much does the staff and the team think that the special teams is going to play a big role in whether or not they are winning games?
3: Yeah, David Cudworth really does love special teams, loves, loves talking about the kicking game. It's clearly something that he spent a lot of time researching and thinking about. And even small things like, you know, if you guys have noticed, you know, Duke never, when Duke kicks off, they never kick off into the end zone. They always try to kick it to about the two yard line, the one yard line, because they think they can tackle guys before, you know, they reach the twenty five. They don't want to give up any yards. And and normally that works. And so yeah, you know, it's um it's an area of the game that that he cares a lot about. You know, he certainly was quick to point out after the Northwestern game that, you know, those touchbacks by Will Monday weren't what they were looking for. And it was it was kind of a weird day for Monday yesterday, um, you know, 'cause he's the holder on those two botched extra points right from the beginning, uh, you know, the first one was kind of a bad snap. The second one, he just flat-out dropped. So, you know, rest assured that those things are going to be looked at and ironed out. But, but yeah, um, special teams really honestly do kind of count on points out of special teams every week. And this week they basically got 14, you know, one from Devon Edwards' kickoff return and the other from the punt return that went to the one-yard line by Ryan
0: Smith. So looking at this game as a whole, obviously Duke has had a number of big victories at Wallace Wade Stadium the last few years. Going back to the season when they first became bowl eligible against UNC, um, the Miami and Virginia Tech games the next year, and then and then Georgia Tech on the road last year. How does this win kind of compare to those wins? How does the program see it? How did it feel yesterday at the stadium?
3: Yeah, unfortunately, yesterday at the stadium it rained like the entire game. Uh, you know, it really was was well, a bummer in terms of uh you know what it just did to atmosphere in general and crowd support. And, you know, I say this from my perks in the indoor press box. And I I don't blame people. I don't want to sit out in the pouring rain either. But, you know, there were people that did it. um, And, you know, they obviously saw a a great defensive performance by Duke. There's no doubt about that. And it's it's just kind of fun to watch the triple option, I think, once a year. Um, But um, it will be interesting to see kind of how this win stacks up. You know, revisionist history is always interesting to look back. You know, last year's win against Georgia Tech, I mean, that might be the best win that David Cutcliffe has because that might be the best team that Duke's ever beaten. Obviously, Georgia Tech only lost three times. total last year beat up on Georgia and, you know, Mississippi State and the year, Clemson as well. Um, and it remains to be seen kind of what this Yellow Jackets team is going to turn out to be. Obviously, not as good as everybody suspected preseason. And you know, afterwards, Paul Johnson, um, well, disappointed, clearly, was kind of a little bit like I told you so. And he had told people after you know Georgia Tech had you know absolutely run Tulane off the field that you know they, they're having some problems on the offensive line. And obviously those are major problems that both Notre Dame and Duke saw. And at this point everybody else who looks at the film is going to be able to see. So it's so really interesting. But, I mean, no doubt a good win uh, for Duke. Georgia Tech is a solid program. Um, you know, they're not a terrible team by any means. And it came at the right time. You know, it was was kind of fortuitous because Georgia Tech does force you to kind of get physical just because you know that's what they do to kind of ground and pound. And that's what this team needed was a reset kind of on the physicality level after getting worn down by Northwestern. So, you know, I think the timing was good. The confidence boost will be good. And, you know, Boston College is a really good defensive team, too. So, uh, you know, it won't be... Will be an easy game next week, despite the fact not kind of a marquee ACC opponent.
0: What do you what do you think is the ceiling of this Duke team, having now seen the way they performed against two, you know, like between Northwestern and Georgia Tech? These are two teams that are talented enough, I think, to run with most teams, most of the other teams in the country. Um, where do you think Duke's ceiling is now that you've seen them play against some other potentially elite programs?
3: Naturally, it's a little hard to say, but I mean more kind of locally in the coastal division. There's no reason why Duke can't win the coastal division. You know, you saw Virginia Tech who, you know, I honestly don't understand why everybody assumes year after year that they're gonna be clinical back. But um, you know, they lost to ECU. I don't think much of Miami. I also, you know, don't kind of buy the thing that they try to sell every year as far as being better. You know, North Carolina has issues. Georgia Tech, you know, Duke obviously already beat them. You know, there's no reason why if Duke can Find a little bit of offensive efficiency and match it with uh, you know the defense and special teams play that they can't you know win the coastal and then you kind of you know you roll the dice against either probably Florida State or Clemson in the Atlantic Division so it, it'll be interesting. Um, there are certainly a ton of winnable games left on Duke's schedule so uh, it'll be kind of up to them to see how they can piece it all together. Uh, but you do figure at some point the offense is going to need to play better. The defense probably isn't going to be shut down just every single week. Um, and that, that, that is really the question for this team right now, is can the offense kind of catch up to where everything else is to,
0: to make this a special run. Um, how does new Brooks Field at Wallace Wade Stadium look uh, and feel from now we've had three games there?
3: It looks so much better. You know, it really does look like a major college football stadium. And it's kind of funny. You didn't realize uh, really just kind of how ugly that kind of off-colored yellow paint was. But now that the brick is in there, it looks great. The Track being gone obviously does a ton for aesthetics. Yeah, they did a really nice job, which you know I wasn't surprised about. All the recent construction projects they've done, kind of all the different athletic facilities, have been done really well, and uh, you know this one's no exception. So it's it's in a good place. It's kind of amazing they were able to push the pause button so effectively on a two-year renovation project. And I'm sure once you know everything else gets finished uh, in this upcoming off season, it will it'll it'll be what they wanted, and people will be pleased.
0: And how are your accommodations in the press box now that, you know, since they're in this temporary situation, you know, in between the two years of the renovation?
3: Uh, You know, it's funny. I don't know that anywhere else in the country would you go from a a permanent setup to a temporary one and have kind of a huge upgrade in quality. (laughs) You know, it wasn't, I don't know how many people knew, but the old Duke football press box was actually, it actually doubled at the doctor's office during the week. So, um, you know, we were kind of sitting on these very temporary risers. It was tight and you know it was was a doctor's office it was not a press box but now um you know we have a nice little glassed-in area uh right off the concourse um it's not a doctor's office and it's um it's big and it's pretty big and spacious honestly and um yeah you know it kept us dry people were joking that you know we'd figure out if there are any leaks in the temporary press box yesterday but uh no no such leaks and it's good um and they're obviously building the tower um which is going to hold some luxury suites and the permanent press box stuff. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good. There are, there are no complaints from the media for.
0: I had no complaints as a patient in the Eager building, but I can imagine that it was poor as a member of the press. Yeah, um, I
3: mean, it, it wasn't a press box. And, you know, sitting on, sitting on temporary risers, obviously, um, you know, as you shake and everybody moves, you're like, oh, well, you know, hopefully yeah, they'll held together before they tear it back down.
0: <laughs> I, have, I have sat in that room before and thought, I don't feel like this is necessarily what it's supposed to be um so i uh it's good to know that my my intuition was correct um i think we're good on football uh is there i guess to wrap that up is there any you you just came out of coach cutcliffe's um sunday press conference is that right
3: yes yes he talks to media at 5 p.m on sundays
0: was uh was there any was there any injury news anything to report personnel wise that that you thought was notable from the from the press conference today
3: um, you know, Casey Blazer, the uh the right tackle went went off on a cart on the last offensive play yesterday and that's typically not good. But um apparently there's there's no broken bones or strains or anything like that and he's gonna be kind of day to day. So so that was pleasantly really surprising for Duke in terms of injury news. So nothing notable right now, um, which is a good place to be heading into what is going to be a, a pretty brutally physical game against Boston College.
0: Have you gotten to watch, I guess I'll ask them, have you gotten to watch Boston College at all? And and you've mentioned that their defense is very stout. Uh, is there something that you are looking for that Duke has to be able to do to to be successful against them?
3: Well, Duke's fortunate in the fact that, you know, Boston College does not really have a quarterback right now. Their starting quarterback broke his leg against Florida State out for the year. They're now starting kind of a trio of, you know, at least two of them are true freshmen, and they're you know, just kind of untested guys. One of which his last name is Flutie. Uh, I believe he is. Doug Flutie nephew um which obviously has a lot of history there at bc but um yeah so it's going to be really tough for boston college to score points um period Stu will be fortunate in that respect but um it will be a really physical game you know, steve adazio honestly one of the most underrated coaches nationwide you know he's really really gotten a lot out of what he has at boston college so you know it might be a uh 10 to 3 type of score next week but um he'll uh Yeah, Duke Duke is fortunate that the Eagles really, really
0: are limited offensively. Okay. I think that's enough on football. I'm going to turn it over to Jason, who's going to throw some basketball questions at you, if that's all right. That's good. All right.
1: Go ahead, Jason. uh, So, Laura, let's start um, start with this. Duke just got, literally in the past couple hours, uh, another recruiting commitment in basketball. His name is – wait, I'm going to ask you, Laura. Uh, His last name is spelled – it looks like it would be Delorier. Um Is that
3: what you think it is, Javin
1: Deloria? At
3: this point, that is my assumption. But uh, you know, until until you get a kid in front of you, honestly, and ask him to say his name for you, you can never be sure. And you would be shocked, right. by the way, how many kids come in and say their names differently than how you've heard them said for years.
0: What was the What was the most surprising one that you've dealt with?
3: Oh, god. You know, I'm trying to remember. I definitely remember, well, you know, uh, just kind of briefly switching back to football, you know, David Reeves is a tight end, but you know, I feel like every year we ask him for David or DJ and he always says DJ, but he still ends up getting called David, you know, for, 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 through, throughout the year. But, yeah, anyway, just little things like that. It is always good to get somebody to, to clarify how they prefer to be called and how they prefer their name to be said.
0: Like Chris well, so- Robocumba?
3: Yeah, like that. <laughs>
0: So uh, until
1: we hear otherwise, we're going to call him Delaurier. Although it's possible it's Delaurier, and and Sam, didn't you say you heard like Delurer or something
0: like that? Uh, the the Evan Daniels Scout.com article uh, and subsequent video that he put up to as like the reaction piece to the commitment. Uh, Evan Daniels said Delaurier, if I'm remembering it correctly. Um, and as we were saying offline before we started recording, that sounds wrong. Um, so. <laughs> Okay, uh,
3: Evan Daniels does do great work, though. But I do think he might be saying that name wrong. Yeah, yeah.
0: no, I, 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 I think he is a he's a wonderful uh, reporter. Uh, I just, I just don't trust him on this one in this in this particular case.
1: Okay, so uh, enough about the kid's name, Laura. Let me ask you. So uh, DeLaurier is a he's a six nine power forward. Um, he is not sort of the kind of recruit we've seen Duke get a lot the past oh you know, year and a half or two years when they've been on this great recruiting role. He's not someone who who you go, this kid's a lock to be a McDonald's All-American. You know, he's a top 20 recruit who's a a potential, if not one and done, two and done. He is a fast rising kid in the rankings who was basically unranked a year ago and has rocketed up and, you know, is in most people's top 30, top 40 at this point. But, uh, you know, again, not the super high profile Stud, crazy kind of recruit that we sometimes see Duke pulling in, and and isn't it fun to get those? But let me put this to you: What do you think his role will be uh, for Duke basketball?
3: Yeah, I, I do think initially it'll be kind of a as a, as kind of a quote unquote energy guy, kind of spark to come in and play some defense, get some rebounds, that type of thing. And you know, I th- you definitely brought up a good point. Um, you know, he he is a fast riser. He's not you know a top line guy who is clearly going to be here for nine months before he goes on to the NBA. But, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, even last year, talked about you know, how important those guys are for the Duke program. You know, he does want to have four-year players, like, you know, Jefferson, Matt Jones, those type of guys. Uh, you know, I think that's important for the consistency of the program. And, you know, for years and years and years, of course, that's how the Duke program was built, kind of on senior leadership. So, you know, I, I you know, I do think that, you know, they probably took him and liked the fact that they saw a kid, who has a ton of potential, who can spend a few years in Durham. You know, that, that was probably a plus in his recruitment. And, you know, more than anything, it, it's it just kind of the way his recruitment was handled just speaks to the power that, you know, Duke has right now on the recruiting trail. You know, people, there are other schools, you know, like Notre Dame, that has been, has been on this kid for a long time. And Duke came, comes in kind of late, you know, kind of snaps their fingers, gets him to reschedule his official visit to Durham and postpone his visit to Notre Dame. And, you know, he comes this weekend and he commits right like that it's you know it really is incredible that at this point Chesky and the staff can kind of swoop in and kind of get whoever they want but um yeah you know this is not going to be a guy who's probably going to start when he gets to Durham and um but but he is talented and he is just kind of a, a later bloomer and you never know you know once he does get to be an upperclassman kind of what he can contribute.
1: Uh, you know, you pointed out that they're in such a role with recruiting; they seem to get every recruit they want. the The one they want at this point, who isn't committed yet, is the number one recruit in the country. He's a North Carolina kid, so I figure you may know a little bit more about him. Um, what What's your feeling about how Duke stands with Harry Giles?
3: Yeah, you know, I think everybody for a while now has assumed that Giles is a Duke lean, and um, that's that's also what I feel. I feel like Duke feels good about the position that they have uh, with him. Obviously, you know, he and Jason Tatum are great friends, and you know, and I mean, Harry Giles has been coming to Duke games for, like, four years at this point, just because, you know, he was local in Winston-Salem, uh, now playing at Oak Hill. But, yeah, for years, we just kind of drive over for unofficial visits and sit behind the bench, um, starting when he was a freshman, uh, before he, you know, had the big knee injury that that knocked him out for a year. And, and, you know, Duke's always felt good about their connection with Giles and his family and his interest in Duke. And nothing that I've seen you know, over the, the course of his recruitment suggests anything other than the fact that he really is a Duke lean. But he is going to take his time, and he's going to take his visits. There's no doubt about that. He's going to go to Kentucky. He's going to go to you know, North, Carol- North Carolina. He's already been to Wake Forest. But you know, Duke has the last visit. Duke has a visit you know, time the way they want it. I do think ultimately he will be uh, a Duke commit when this is all said and done.
1: Uh, is there a sense, and and I, I don't mean to say that they're cocky, but is there a sort of a "we're the king of the world" sense around the program right now? That is there, like, is there any overconfidence or anything going on? It it feels like I mean, you can't find anything bad to say about what's going on with Duke basketball.
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's funny you mention that because I really don't think that's how they perceive it and how they feel. You know, after the national championship game. These guys were, I'm not going to say they were panicking, because they were panicking, but they were kind of scrambling to find players. You know, Duke lost half of its team, were just two kids committed. Like, there was a need for bodies, period. And, you know, those guys worked really hard, you know, to convince uh, Derek Thornton to reclassify, to go and get Brandon Ingram. And that, cause that was far from given, you know, when, when the national championship uh, run ended. And, you know, so I feel like they probably feel like they've been, you know, really pounding the pavement and they're probably trying to, to, to catch their breath a little bit while still identifying their targets for, for, for this upcoming class. And, and yeah, so it's, it's funny while, you know, it probably looks like you just kind of snap snaps fingers and gets it done. If you talk to any of the guys on staff, you know, they would tell you just, you know, how much hard work really is going into this. And uh, obviously that mentality is, is serving them well. You know, I feel like the second you kind of sit back and assume it's automatic, that's when it stops being, uh, being so...
1: Yeah, I I I love hearing that answer from you. I'm 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 glad that that's the the way they're approaching things. Um, uh, let's get to this upcoming season. Um, any updates? Anything you're hearing? I know we're still a couple weeks from the official start of practice. Um, uh, but but what's the sense you're getting from you know pickup games and from what the scuttlebutt is around Durham?
3: Yeah, official start of practice. Believe it or not, is this coming Friday? Uh, I can't really believe it either that that it's already upon us and. And Duke will have an open practice uh, on that day, and that will be kind of our first live look at the team. It really is, honestly, a mystery at this point. You know, I've talked to people that have seen every workout, and they couldn't even tell you who the starting five would be, you know, if the season started tomorrow, just because it is competitive. And you have a lot of talented guys, but, you know, things haven't really begun to to separate out yet. You know, obviously Thornton's the only true point guard on the roster, so you figure, you know, he's going to play point guard. Uh, You know, there's a ton of competition really at the other guard spots. You know, you have Grayson Allen, who everybody's well familiar with kind of the giant steps he took forward last year. You know, Matt Jones is going to play. He's a captain, and he's, you know, a defense-oriented guy. And, you know, Mike Krzyzewski is obviously going to find minutes for him. You have Luke Kennard, who's a good shooter, but, you know, you you wonder just, you know, how is Kennard ultimately not end up playing all that much this year? You don't know. I mean, there's three people for basically – you know, one spot right there, and then Duke has decisions to make um, on the interior too. You know, do you start Marshall Marshall Plumley? Uh do you start Emile Jefferson? You, you you know what you're getting with those guys. Uh, you know, I don't know that Chase Jeter. You know, while talented, is is built right now to come in and kind of you know play in the post uh, in the ACC, but you never know how he'll develop. But yeah, it's it, there's just a lot of question marks. There's a lot up in the air. You know. There's unquestionably talent, and you know, undoubtedly Duke's going to be ranked probably you know in the top seven easily to start the year. But but this is definitely going to be a year where there's going to be some changes and some evolutions, and um and yeah, everything is certainly up for grabs, and there, there's nothing set in stone.
1: What's it like to cover Duke, Duke athletics right now? Um, seems like there's an awful lot of success going around. It's Certainly fun for us to talk about it. I mean, um, is your job really fun because there's so many good things that seem to be happening with with the high profile programs
3: yeah it, it's undoubtedly fun you know it's uh, i i was I was fortunate and kind of my first year covering football was two thousand and twelve, which is the year you know obviously that the bull streak uh, the bull streak began, and you know the bull drought ended um, so you know there's been exciting storylines on football pretty much from the jump um, and, you know football well college basketball is obviously king in our area, you know nationally college football is you know a beast and so it's it's fun to be able to participate you know on that level and, and i'm an ap voter this year so it's kind of fun to take the national football look and you know to have duke play meaningful games uh you know that help me kind of evaluate and collect data and and yeah um you know going to the final four uh last year is, is something i'll always remember you know always uh and it's still, it's still kind of crazy just how perfectly, you know, they hit their one year window, um, you know, at the white house, which was also a cool trip by the way. Um, you know, Tyus mentioned how it, it kind of doesn't feel real and I can, I kind of laugh because I can see, you know, what he means by that. Sometimes I kind of, it doesn't feel real that, you know, they worked so well for them either, but obviously it did. And, uh, you know, it was exhilarating, uh, professionally exhausting, exciting, all those things. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 definitely um, a good time to cover Duke sports uh, in terms of the national relevance and importance that, uh, that they have.
0: Okay, I think that is going to do it for questions for Laura. Um, Laura, did you have anything else you wanted to share with us before you left?
3: I don't think so. I think that pretty well covers it.
0: Okay, uh, in that case, thanks for coming on with us. Um, I know that there's a lot going on right now, so... Um, we appreciate the time, and uh, hopefully we can have you back again here soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. So we've now heard from Laura. We're going to go to the member of the uh, of the podcast crew here that didn't get to speak while she was around, uh, Donald Wine. Uh, haven't heard from you here yet. Uh, what were your impressions of the football game? Uh, what were your impressions of the interview? Just what have you got? Duke Athletics this week. Go. Well, I, you know what, I,
2: I was watching the game with uh, a couple of Duke friends and a Georgia Tech fan um, uh, this weekend, and I I really want to start with the defense. I think the defense was the key to this game, and I, I, I want there to be uh, a way that we can clone Jeremy Cash so he, he can forever be a Duke player because he was a savage yesterday. Uh, point blank period that, like, he was the man. Uh, twelve tackles, uh, one sack, and the one thing about him when looking at the stats uh, for him, it's really hard to gauge just by the stats that he had such a monstrous game because there were so many plays where he forced uh, for instance uh, Justin Thomas to make the wrong decision on a pitch or on an option and completely blow up the play and leave the ball for someone else to pick up or leave or, or have him pitch to someone. Uh, and there would be three or four Duke players around, ready to make the tackle. He wasn't getting a lot of credit for those plays, but uh, on the stat sheet. But everyone who watched the game knew that he was a force on just about every single play on defense yesterday. He is, no question, the MVP uh, of the of the game. And, and as uh, Laura pointed out, he's the Walter Camp uh, Defensive Player of the Week, which was more than well deserved. Uh, I think. You, special you know,
1: team- hold on. Let Let me jump in really quick on that. Uh, I want folks to really understand what that means. Um, there were, you know, uh, God knows how many, 50-plus Division One college football games yesterday um, with, uh, you know, 11 players on defense in every single one of them. So several hundred guys were playing defense yesterday in the country, playing college football. And Jeremy Cash was the best defensive player in the country yesterday. I mean, that's
0: that's So sick. say so saith the ones that But yeah. Yes. But, you know, but, but you
2: know what? I watched a lot of football yesterday, and that is that I didn't see anybody who came close to the performance that he had on either side of the ball, with the exception of Leonard Fournette of LSU. He, yeah. he like if you if you put those two uh, take those two out, I didn't see anybody else who matched them uh, as far as far as a single solitary performance yesterday.
1: Yeah, it's just amazing. You go on with what you were saying, but I just wanted to highlight. For, I mean, to win the National Defensive Player. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's crazy. It's crazy how good this kid is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, I'm glad he is on our team. I, I wish we could keep him for 110 billion years, and that we can uh, have uh, 25 of them, uh, just so we can just have 12 on or 11 on offense, 11 on defense, and just have a couple subs just rotating it out. But uh, anyway, I, I I was also watching the game, and one thing uh, uh, we were we were down we. Our defense was doing well, but our offense was sputtering at a certain point in, uh, in the third and fourth quarter. Um, and after one of the of Georgia Tech's touchdowns, we, it was the ensuing kickoff, I said, if we can get it to Devon Edwards, he'll run it back. And I said this to my friends, and sure enough, Devon Edwards ran back that kickoff for a touchdown. Now, what we couldn't really see on the play and what I saw in a tweet from uh, a journalist in the press box... I. I I'm sorry, I can't recall which one. Uh, from the press box view, he said that the kicker, the kicker for Georgia Tech actively looked to see where Edwards lined up before the kickoff and kicked to the other side. But what he didn't see was Edwards seeing that and switching, both switching sides of the field as the ball was kicked off and ended up, the kicker, ended up kicking right to him, which is what he did want to do. So I think that was very smart and very heads up by, uh, by the special teams, to, and especially Devon Edwards, to see that and to put himself in a position to make a play, and he did just that. Uh, I think on offense, uh, you know, it was a very, very t- uh, rough day. We had a great running game, I thought. Shaq Powell, uh, 14 carries, 88 yards, and three touchdowns. He did very well. Um, I think one thing that we will have to look uh, for next week, uh, we lost John L. Barnes in the fourth quarter to a targeting penalty. Um, I, I didn't think it was, it was one of those things where he, he probably tackled at the wrong time, and the way that the, uh, the way that the, it was a muffed punt. So the punter or the receiver kind of had to lower his head to try and get the ball. And that's when Jen Al Barnes hit him. Um, it was kind of, you know, mistimed, but I didn't think it was as brutal as people thought it was, although it was a very uh, serious helmet to helmet play. Uh, but he, we, we will miss him for the first half next week against BC. So I thought that was a, a, a important note. Um, Cirque did not have a great game in my opinion. Um, I think he was really good with running the ball, um, but throwing the ball, I feel like he has a tendency to either dump off when uh, we need seven yards or eight yards, uh, and it's not the the checkdown that we want or he throws uh, into coverage that we probably don't want him to throw into coverage He had uh, he went seventeen for twenty five one hundred and fourteen yards, uh, one throwing touchdown and two interceptions um, and that 's something that would definitely need to improve our aerial attack, I think is something that balances out our run attack and I think we want to be more of a pass heavy offense as opposed to a run heavy offense with the run game, really uh, supplementing what we do in the air. So uh, I think that would need to improve. And and with all the targets that we do have uh, out wide, and especially with our, uh, even with our our, our dump offs to our wide receivers who can then run the ball very well. um, I think we want to improve that part of our game. So I think that was uh, what I saw. And, And finally, you know, looking forward, um, people are wondering where we are associated with the rest of the AP poll. Uh, we did get 18 votes this week, um, in the rankings that were released a few hours ago, uh, in the AP poll, uh, 44 in the coaches poll. So that puts us about 33rd or 32nd in the country. So people are starting to recognize what this team can do. Um, and I think it's up to our team to respond and, and show them every week, um, that they're getting better as a, as a football team, um, and, and look forward to that against BC.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I think that the that the offense can improve. Um, it's obviously concerning given how high the coaches were on Cirque at the beginning of the year that the passing hasn't been better. Um, but I think it's just going to take time for them to for them to adjust. I mean, he's obviously Barnes and McCaffrey are experienced, but they're they haven't been like you know the leading receivers on their team on the team yet. Um, so I think it just takes time for all those guys to to work their way. And you know, like when, when Boone took over um, from Renfrey... He was inheriting um, uh, Connor Vernon as sort of the star wide receiver, so it was like, all right, I know that I have Connor Vernon. And then he kind of worked Jameson Crowder in. Um, we haven't we haven't had to replace like all the top guys together before. It, at least I don't think. Um, so I, I think it's going to take time. I think that I think that Circ and his his key receivers still have work to do as far as getting on the same page. And um, you know, I, I think I mentioned um, during the when we were talking to Laura. That there seemed like you know there were more downfield passes this week, but they were being thrown at guys and not to lead guys. Um, I thought that the touchdown pass, while it wasn't very long, was like one of the best ones that he had yesterday because he was leading his receiver into open space to go catch the ball and then turn and 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 score. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking for that improvement. We'll we'll see what happens. Jason, did you have anything else on the on the football?
1: Yeah, let me do a couple um, statistical things for you guys really quickly. Um, for people who have not been reading about. Um, uh, you know, what we did to Georgia Tech defensively. Um, there's some really wonderful stats. Georgia Tech came into this game averaging 377 yards rushing per game. 377 is just a crazy huge number. This is one of the, probably the best rushing team in the United States of America. And um, they uh, they did not do very well in Durham. They, they got 173 yards rushing on 60 attempts. That comes to less than three yards per carry. This is the first time since 2011 that tech got less than three yards per carry um rushing in a game it's just uh, that we held them that low on 60 attempts is just unbelievable guys let me ask you a question though um when when we gave the ball back to georgia tech twice in the fourth quarter when we only had a six point lead did either of you lose faith and think we're about to have one of these soul-crushing losses, where they're going to come down and score doom. and win by one. Yes, and by the doom way, doom and
0: gloom, all doom I, and gloom. I was how, so afraid.
1: How much were you? I was Wait, wait. How much were you thinking about the two flubbed extra points? I was like, oh my god, we're only up six because we blew two extra points.
0: Oh. Yeah. No, I, I, I had, I had bad feelings with Donald. What were you saying? I, I said I
2: didn't have as much bad feelings as the fact that I was, I was starting to get worried that. Our defense which had been carrying us the whole game had been on the field so much in that fourth quarter um, and, and it wasn't that they, it wasn't the interceptions that were concerning me it was the fact that we would have a great defensive stop and then like two, three plays later they're back on the field even with the Devon Edwards touchdown uh, the, the kickoff return, my one concern was, oh now our defense who just had a great uh, you know, had just had gave up a touchdown after being on the field for basically the entire fourth quarter. Uh, now just has to get back on the field. So I, I, think, that's, I, I think that's why I had to start with the defense because that, that stretch where it seemed like they were on the field for, you know, 10, 12 minutes was just astounding how they responded and, and really only holding them to seven points.
1: Yeah. By the way, you know, the other statistical thing I wanted to talk about had to do with the offense. So our second drive of the game, our first touchdown drive, we went 75 yards of offense in that drive. We had exactly 75 yards of offense in the entire second half. So that one drive was our entire second half. That's that's not good. We've got to be better on offense, and we're playing a BC team next week that, um, you know, in terms of yards allowed, is the best defensive team in the country. Um, Laura said this could be like a seven to three kind of ball game. She may be right, and and I love the fact that we've got our special teams working for us because if you think about. Um, the seven points we got off the Devon Edwards kickoff return scoring from the one after the Ryan Smith punt return special teams makes it easier for our offense to get some points and points are going to be so, so, so precious next week. And the other special teams thing that happened that helped us out in this past game was the muffed punt by Georgia Tech. And can one of you explain to me why that wasn't intentional grounding when the punter picked up the ball and just winged it at a lineman? How is that not intentional grounding or something? Tech got an extra 20 yards out of that. It was bizarre.
0: I was watching on the I was watching at a bar uh here in in Denver, and I have no idea i they didn't really
2: explain it uh on on that on that play why it wasn't
0: um because that's definitely what
2: I was calling for it, and I guess they probably said that uh it got back to the line of scrimmage or he was out of the pocket no, or whatever no but it wasn't that it was it, i i I don't know because it was hard to understand what they were trying to explain it. And I I don't think the announcers on ESPN2 really knew what was going on, and they were trying to justify it by giving some convoluted explanation to the point where even they didn't know what they were talking about. But I don't think anybody it's, knew really why.
1: The ball did not get back to the line of scrimmage, and, and it hit someone, a, a guy number 99. It hit number 99. Number 99 is no way that's an eligible receiver. That,
2: that you know, Right, I, unless I don't he know. reported it, and he definitely didn't before that play.
1: Right, right. Um, the last thing I want to say about football um, – Uh, My first question for Laura about whether it was a team effort or Jeremy Cash is sort of um, what I want to button up all of our um, football conversation with, Um, because as great as Jeremy was, uh, it was a team effort because you cannot stop the triple option unless guys stay where they're supposed to stay and do what they're supposed to do. Um, you've got to be able to stop the dive up the middle. You've got to have guys who are stringing out plays to the to the side so the quarterback can't pitch it and get, you know, into uh, rounds and the such. Um, it's about everyone working together. Um, and in two weeks after we play Boston College, Duke will play another triple option team in Army. I feel... Really sorry for Army, because <laughs> Duke is clearly really good defensively at stopping the triple option, and Army isn't nearly as good at the triple option. They don't have the same kind of personnel. They're not as good and effective at executing it as Georgia Tech was. As you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Duke D does against a team that's going to be sort of Georgia Tech light. Um, and I hope that we can, um, I, I hope we can do to them what we did to, to Tech, and, and really continue to confound them. Um, it was a, it was a great great defensive effort, great special teams effort and an okay okay offensive effort. Could have been better.
2: And one final note before I kick it back to you, Sam. The We were talking about the um, uh, how did we were able to combat this triple option. If you recall last year when we finally beat Georgia Tech, we had a bye week before that. So we had two weeks to prepare for this offense. This week, we didn't have that. We only had uh, seven days to prepare for a triple option that uh, usually is there is there kind of uh, success in that people don't have much time to prepare for them, and it's those teams that do come off of bye weeks that have two weeks to prepare for this offense that they run into the most trouble again. So I thought that was uh, just adding to the defensive uh, success was the fact that they only had seven weeks to prepare for this, and I think that shows that these guys are were ready to play. And, and again, like you said, Army is going to be in trouble in a couple of weeks if we if it's anything like we saw, what we saw uh, yesterday.
1: You know what's interesting? I heard, and I don't remember where I read it, um, that Duke has been working defensively on the triple option since the preseason. Like over the summer, they started working on it because they knew in Georgia Tech and Army that two of their opponents were going to be triple option teams, and they knew they didn't have a lot that. of time prepare for either one of them. So really smart. You know, once again, David Cutcliffe, this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> that is uh, abundantly clear. Um, but have this team really, really well prepared for, for. And you're absolutely right, Donald. It is tough to know what you're doing against a triple option unless you're prepared for
2: it.
0: And I think in years past, when we would play Georgia Tech, it was it always feels like one of those games where Georgia Tech doesn't have the necessarily like elite talent the way that Miami does it's just that they're they're so disciplined and they're so well coached and they're so good at what they do it was like you just got to be able to beat the thing that, that they're good at and as you pointed out you know duke has been has been much better in recent years of of practicing for this game and executing it i mean it seemed like almost every play yesterday that Georgia Tech was running, if they got off big yardage and there weren't very many times they did, it wasn't because Duke was, you know, didn't know what what was going on. There were a lot more plays than that where Duke was in the backfield quickly and getting to the quarterback or getting to uh, the running back who received the pitch. It was like every single time Um, it felt like cash or or one of the other uh, linebackers or defensive backs was, was right there to stop them. And it was honestly a really impressive defensive performance, um, I perhaps the the best that we've seen um from this team in the in the sort of Cutcliffe era. So let's uh let's uh, I guess move on a little bit now. Um I'm not sure what else we uh have to cover, but I'll I'll circle back um to the discussion on uh Javin Delorier, perhaps. Um Donald, did you have any thoughts on him?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a really good pickup for, for us. You know, I'm looking at a, a CBS sports article where uh they're talking about our recruiting class is now the number one recruiting class in the country. I thought it was before this, but I, and I think right now uh, it just shows that we're, we're going out and getting some great talent, and, and I'm really looking forward to see what he can do uh, to work his way into this rotation in the next uh, couple of years when he gets to Duke. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I haven't seen much of his play. Um, I know he's one of the best players in Virginia, um, and, and, and which is a very, you know, we've gotten a lot of great players out of Virginia in the last, uh, decade or so. So I, I think that uh, him being in this uh, in, the, in, in the state of Virginia and, and working hard and, and improving, I think we're only going to see a meteoric rise over the next uh, 12 months from him. And And maybe we were talking about him a year from now being one of those guys coming in and saying, hey, remember when we got this kid Delorier and we couldn't pronounce his name? He's going to be a force next year. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that.
1: I'll tell you what I know about um, Delorier, which is uh, everyone talks about um, he's athletic. Uh, he's a good shot blocker and and very quick off his feet. Uh, he's a guy who loves to dunk the ball around the basket. He's not a super refined offensive player. He's not the kind of guy that's going to sit in the post and you're going to dump it into him and just go, okay, you, you, you take it. Um, but he's a very good defensive player. Uh, and and everyone who writes about him everyone who talks about him talks about his motor talks about his energy this is a guy who plays hard all the time goes after rebounds fiercely and these are attributes that i think are going to carve out a good spot for him at duke i mean we've seen other guys at duke who were not the flashy offensive player come in and and have a real role for the blue devils as a strong solid rebounder a a intense Defender um, and and not a guy who who needs to get his hands on the ball every time you have it on offense. Um, so I think he's definitely going to carve out um, uh, you know a, a space for himself um, once he gets to to Durham. Uh, look, I don't know that he's going to be an impact player um, his first year, especially. Uh, If Harry Giles does as many people expect him to and and commits to Duke, um, uh, you know, it could be a really, really loaded roster. But um, I think he's someone who will be a useful energy, um, you know, Energizer Bunny kind of guy off the bench to give you some time and and give you some effort on the inside. Uh, And I think that uh, down the road, um, as he gets to be sophomore, junior, senior, he will have larger and larger roles for Duke. And I think he'll be someone that will really look back in his career fondly. Um, It was sort of funny a – uh, a friend of mine was emailing, a bunch of us were emailing when uh, Delorier committed, and and someone said, So, what's this guy going to do for us? And one of my friends said, He is a reason that future generations will understand what the word senior night means, um, <laughs> in reference to all the kids who who seemed to come to Duke for a very short period of time. Um, and, boy, we wish we could keep him longer, but we understand why they have to go on to the NBA. Um, this is a guy who probably will be at Duke for, for several years and, um, uh, and very well may uh, make it to his senior night. And nothing wrong with that. Nice to have guys like that in the program, right?
0: Yep. I agree. I, I, I'm, I agree with all the things you guys said, um, and I don't have much more to add because, really, I'm just here for the football. Uh, the basketball is sort of a side part of this gig for me. Um, so, do we have uh, do we have do we have any parting shots before I before I let you guys go? I'll start with Jason.
1: It is it is such a good time to be a Duke fan. You know. By the way, I want to let everyone know out there we did not intentionally skip the podcast when we lost in football. Um, it was just you know the three of us were busy with other things going on in our lives and you know we, we lost to
2: Northwestern. And, I was I was yeah, atoning for, just,
0: sins for one of one of the days in between. So I'll, I'm going to chalk it up to that. I, I was, I was also. I, I'll I'll take that blame.
1: <laughs> so Sam and I were uh, were uh, 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 fasting and atoning in uh, in temple, and Donald was in Jamaica. Um, uh, so that's why we, we didn't didn't get to talk after the Northwestern loss. But but my parting shot was just going to be: it, it's just a really good time to be a Duke football and basketball fan. It's a good time to be a Duke sports fan. Um, a lot of lot of good things happening with the program. Um, uh, I'm I'm giddy. Donald, what Donald. about you?
2: Uh, The only parting shot I have is I'm getting ready. As you guys know, we're recording this on Sunday evening. Uh, I'm getting ready to go watch my Lions play Sunday night football and hopefully they'll embarrass embarrass themselves. But I just got in the mail my Lakin Tomlinson jersey. It looks very beautiful. And hopefully he is bringing me some good luck tonight.
1: Very cool. I love it. I love it. Excellent. Excellent.
0: All right. Um, I got nothing to add. I I agree with everything you guys said. Um, uh, Thanks again to Laura Keeley for – uh, coming on the podcast again. I think she's been on with us now three times. So uh, we, I guess we're doing something right around here because uh, because people people show up to, to talk to us. Uh, and you, I, I don't know if we mentioned this while she was on, um, but you can read her work uh, at the News and Observer. You can read it online. You can read it in the print edition. I think we've mentioned that before. Uh, and you can follow her on Twitter at Laura Keeley. Um, the rest of us are also on Twitter, but eh, whatever. Um, we... Uh, <laughs> Not sure when we'll get to record again, um, but we should talk to everybody again soon. Obviously, football games are happening now once a week, and basketball season, as Laura mentioned, is right around the corner. So... Um so we're excited for everything, as Jason said. We're just excited to be Duke fans right now. Um, so thanks, thanks everybody, for tuning in who, who have been tuning in this whole time. Uh, and tell your friends that we're here. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Um, comment about the podcast on the forums, and we will talk to you again soon. Uh, Duke band, take us home.